Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you, living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we focused on clearing, which is a foundational tool of preventing or learning to manage the feeling of overwhelm. I'm making great progress on my February clear, and will be sure to share my overall results in a future episode. To give you a window into my current progress, so far, I've cleared my closet and dressers of over 300 items. I've cleared my kitchen of over 50 items. I've cleared my scenic view over the back fence by trimming the neighbor's bushes. I've cleared my workspace of loose papers and old to-do lists. I've cleared my body through daily clean eating and the Symphony of Cells essential oil protocol every three days. I've cleared my schedule of all non-essential duties while I have a lot going on so that I can enjoy the ride. I've cleared my garden of the first emerging batch of seasonal weeds. I cleared my bathroom of all products I no longer use regardless of if they were empty or not. I've cleared my mind of tension through daily mindfulness activities like self-hypnosis and meditation. And I've cleared my body of toxins through daily exercise, regular massage, and a renewed commitment to restorative sleep. I'm proud of my progress and lots more clearing to do before the end of the month. I'm taking it slowly and honoring the journey. For today's episode, I've asked my dear friend, true medicine colleague, and integrated medicine doctor extraordinaire, Dr. Susan Peyrovi, to join us as we talk about another way our bodies can become overwhelmed that we might not often think about. And yet, it's really one of the most important things that every human should be thinking about, taking seriously, and learning to clear. Today, we'll be talking about toxins building our awareness of toxins, and how to take action towards living a cleaner life. For those of us living with chronic illness, it's a critical and often overlooked player of the complicated root causes of our illness and the barriers that lie in the path between us and better health. Today's topic can be a little heavy, which was definitely my experience when I first completed a toxins exposure questionnaire with Dr. Susan, and we began to strategize a way forward to a place of better health for me. It's important that we listen to today's conversation with a strong understanding that every little step we take in the right direction is enough to eventually get us there and not feel overwhelmed by the information. 
To help us do that, we're going to spend our dedicated gratitude time today giving thanks for all we can learn about the power of working slowly and methodically towards our goal of living well with MS, and how being toxin-aware, armed with a toolbox of helpful strategies, can help us reach that destination over time in manageable chunks. Most of us are familiar with the classic tale of the tortoise and the hare. This story reminds us that we all operate at different speeds and that there is not just one way to do things. In the story, it's the tortoise who actually arrives at the destination first. Today, we'll celebrate the tortoise and acknowledge that many of the lessons it teaches us are really important for us in particular as people living with MS. And for today, when we approach a potentially daunting topic like toxin awareness, Remembering the power of working slowly and methodically toward our goal can be helpful in that it makes our goal feel a lot more attainable and not quite so daunting. In today's culture of busy, those of us who now must move at a slower pace can easily become frustrated with ourselves. Yet, there is a real beauty in slowing down and operating in a way that is less stress-inducing and enables us to enjoy the journey and see things in a different light. In doing so, we'll actually be able to reach our destination of living well with MS faster than the easily distracted, multitasking, stressed out, and habitually overwhelmed hair. Today, I am grateful for the lessons we can learn from the tortoise. First, slow down. Embrace our new pace. The slower we go, the more we see. When we stubbornly refuse to surrender to our new pace, continue trying to compete with others or even ourselves with who we were prior to MS, it's easy to become overwhelmed. Slowing down like the tortoise helps us see what matters most, what we want to say yes to, and what we need to say no to in order to make our yes happen. Like the tortoise, we are also in this for the long haul. Few things worth anything happen overnight or are acquired without any effort, and living well with MS is certainly a journey that takes time and effort, since our MS will be with us in some fashion for the rest of our lives. Tortoise reminds us to pause, to educate ourselves and really marinate with our thoughts so that we choose the best path forward for ourselves each step of the way. While tortoises move slowly and steadily, their frequent tendency to pause allows them to regularly reassess and adjust course. When we impulsively jump around from task to task in a flurry like the hare, it's harder to see which opportunities and tasks are the most important to focus on first. The tortoise also teaches us that we have everything we need within ourselves to get ourselves to a better place. Tortoises carry their homes on their backs. They never leave their home, and their home never leaves them. They have everything they need within themselves to thrive. And guess what? In a way, so do we. Learning to trust ourselves and celebrate that our bodies know how to heal, and there are things we can do to support, accelerate, and amplify that process is actually really exciting. And did you know that when a tortoise gets flipped onto its back, it will use its strong head and neck to flip itself upright? 
Like the tortoise, when we feel like life has completely turned topsy-turvy on us, we too can use our powerful mind-body connection strategies to get ourselves turned around and oriented to a more productive place. Part of finding our way to better health is to become a stronger self-advocate by coming out of our shell, so to speak. For the tortoise, this means literally poking their head out of their shell to get a good view of the landscape so that they can accurately assess and forge a good path forward. Like the tortoise, we can't really move to a better place without sticking our own neck out and bravely taking a good look at our surroundings so we know how to best navigate the challenges at hand. The tortoise harnesses the power of the slower passage of time. While the hare moves so fast, in doing so, she often misses the point to enjoy the opportunities life presents unexpectedly along the road. Life is about enjoying the journey, savoring our most precious commodity, time. By being slower and more deliberate, the tortoise moves steadily forward with purpose. The tortoise may still have the same goals as the hare, but has his own way of getting there. There are no shortcuts to success, and the tortoise knows this and trusts his pace. He does not wildly adjust course and try to be like the hare. He does what he knows best. He pushes pause, looks around, listens within, and charts a purposeful path forward. Like the tortoise, we know the answers we seek. They are within us. The key is pushing pause and learning to listen to the voice within without allowing ourselves to be swayed by external voices. It behooves us to not rush the process and instead channel our inner tortoise and harness the power of moving slowly and deliberately. Living well with MS is a marathon, not a sprint. The tortoise also reminds us that we are all soft inside our hard exterior shell. Like the tortoise, over time, we may have developed a hard exterior shell of protection. This is especially true when living with a daunting chronic illness like MS that may at times cause us to want to retreat within. The real power within lies in our ability to appreciate our softness to learn to be vulnerable and humble with ourselves and others, to be fully present in experiencing the wide range of emotions and experiences that emerge along the way as humans, and to simultaneously honor and elevate the voice within that yearns to be heard and heeded. The tortoise also remembers that significant movement from one place to another, whether it be the distance it takes to get from one location to another, or from illness to wellness, or from toxic overload to a less toxic life, requires time and effort. Some races, like against the hare, can be difficult for the tortoise because most would bet on the hare being victorious every single time. But the tortoise knows not to make excuses and that there is no shortcut to most worthwhile destinations. The tortoise trusts its pace to get there. When we can accept and also acknowledge the beauty that this slower pace provides, our journey will be much more enjoyable. We will get to our destination exactly when we're meant to. No need to be like the hare and rush. 
Through each small deliberate step the tortoise makes, they get one step closer to their goal. The tortoise is built for the long haul, and so are we. So today, as we prepare to listen in to my conversation with Dr. Susan, let's all remember a journey of a thousand steps begins with just one. And like the tortoise, we'll get there. Embrace the pace. Dr. Susan and I recently met to talk about toxins, one of our favorite topics since it's so important for us all and definitely has played a big role in my journey to better health. Let's listen in on our conversation. And as you listen, be thinking about opportunities you may have in your life to limit your own toxin exposure over time, slowly and deliberately, just like the tortoise. All right. Welcome again, Dr. Susan. It's so nice to have you back. It's so nice to be back. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm super excited about this episode because this is a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts, something we both really care about and just know how important it is. And I think it's such a nice segue into this topic from what we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes, which was clearing. Um, and you had some additional reasons for wanting to talk about this today. Absolutely. Yes. I love that you did some episodes on clearing because it's such an important concept for moving forward and being intentional about where you want to be. And something that we were talking about was this beautiful ritual um, of Persian New Year that is practiced around this time of the year. And it is Persian New Year actually coincides with the vernal equinox where you transition from winter into spring and, you know, in other forms of medicine, like Chinese medicine, you know, think about that shift in energy going more from that, um, you know, that female type energy more into that male type energy where there's an increase in energy that I think all of us feel during springtime. So one thing I love about the Iranian um, culture is that prior to New Year, you spend a few weeks spring cleaning. I mean, many people do this. Americans do this. This is a pretty common ritual. But in, in Farsi, we have a word for this, and it's called hunatekuni. Do, do you want to try saying that? No, thank you. But please say it again for us. <laughs> sure. Hune tekuni. Hune means house and tekuni. I'm no like linguistic expert, but I think it means like shake it up, like shaking up your house and cleaning out your house. So in, in generally, you will go through and you'll get rid of extra things and you'll clean all those places that you don't clean regularly. And it takes a couple of weeks and it's a really important ritual for this time of renewal. So one thing that I have started incorporating into this um, concept of Hunatekuni is that we also want to get rid of some of the things in our homes that are toxic, toxic chemicals. And this is not what most people think about when they think about spring cleaning. So as you and I were talking, we thought, oh, what a great time to bring in the concept of toxins, because it's that one added layer that you can add into your uh, spring cleaning to like really make it complete and impactful. Excellent. That is so exciting. So let's go ahead and get started. Talk to us a little bit. What is the problem of toxins? 
Well, I always, when I'm teaching this class to my patients, I always say this is my most favorite and least favorite topic to talk about. It's my most favorite because it's the big elephant in the room that we don't really talk about. And um, it's not something that ever comes up in Western medicine when we're counseling patients and working with our patients. So I think it's really important that we bring attention to it because it matters. And um, it's my least favorite thing to talk about because some of the information, once you learn it, can really change the way you look at your environment. And some of it, I will admit, can be a little anxiety provoking if it's not um, supported by lots of actionable things to do so that you can feel that you did something really good for your family, for your health, for your home. So we want to give it to you in that combination of telling you what the problem is, and giving you some very actionable things that you can do to make an impact. And so I wanna focus mostly on man-made toxins. Uh, we're not gonna talk about toxins produced by bacteria and viruses. We're gonna talk about um, the, all the chemical compounds that have been developed by um, chemists um, and engineers that are um, then placed into our health and beauty products, our cleaning products all the furniture in our home and all the building materials. And so those are some very concrete places where you can find these chemical compounds. And also we have to think about, well, what's out in the environment? You know, we talk about pollution all the time, but like, what is that exactly? We are talking about these man-made chemicals getting into our air, in our water supply and in the soil that we grow our food in. And so, it is really important for us to start thinking about the impact that these chemical compounds make on the environment and in turn on human health. It's really important to make that circle complete because it's not just the problem of the environment. You know, we talk about environmental pollution all the time, but we don't close that loop by saying, well, what's in the environment ends up in our bodies and it starts affecting human physiology and which genes are turned on and what our biochemistry does. So this is why this topic is so important. I could not agree more. And you talked a little bit about some of the places where we can find toxins and how do they enter our bodies? Well, there's three main ways. One is just through simple inhalation or breathing it in. So when you smell something, for example, you're at a gas station and you can smell that gas. Well, those compounds are in the air and they're entering your body and that's how you are detecting them and smelling them. Um, also through skin, right? We put lots and lots of medications that are delivered through the skin. We put them right on the skin and rub it in like hormones. Um, but, you know, putting toxic beauty products right onto your skin is another great delivery system of getting that toxin into your body. And then finally, ingestion through the GI tract. So if you are buying food that has been sprayed with pesticides and herbicides, it's another really easy way of delivering that co compound into your body just by eating that food. Wow. Now, what about things like cleaning products? Sure. So cleaning products, you would breathe them in because a lot of them actually have natural scents. Uh, and so you know that those molecules are in that product. So they enter your body through inhalation and they also enter your body through touch. So if you're cleaning and getting a lot of different agents on your skin, they are getting absorbed.
Definitely. And you also mentioned to me um, some really helpful things about furniture and building materials. Can you talk just briefly about those? Sure. I, there's, we're actually living in a really great time where more and more attention is brought to this issue of wanting to bring into your home non-toxic products. So many of the products that are in ordinary furniture, like the foam that's in your couch, can um, contain many different compounds, including PVDEs, which are fire retardants. They were placed there so that if, you know, you were, I don't know, if you were smoking and you fell asleep and you set your couch on fire, um, hopefully you'd have a little more time to escape the couch. And so we have started, for example, using these fire retardants in many building, um, I'm sorry, in many different furniture products, including kids' cribs. And what do kids do with their cribs? They like to chew them. On. <laughs> yes. So nice way of getting that PBDE in through the mouth, through ingestion. So are there alternatives? Absolutely, but it has to be on your radar. Otherwise, you won't be thinking about it when you go out to purchase a piece of furniture. Thank you. That's so helpful. Now, you just used a very powerful example there of a baby chewing on their crib. Who is most at risk? <laughs> I think a good question is, who isn't at risk? And the answer to that is no one. If you live on this planet, there's no place where you can hide from these chemical compounds because we have used them in such great amounts. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in the air and the water and the soil. It's in our oceans. So uh, I would say those at highest risk are the young. So even neonatal life, you are getting exposed to toxins that the mom has been exposed to. So um, exposure doesn't occur at the moment of birth. It's sort of at the moment of conception, which is something to think about, especially if family planning is um, on your mind, right? You want to provide the cleanest, um, least toxic environment for that baby. Uh, so we talked about the young being at risk, the elderly, because maybe their kidneys or livers aren't working optimally, maybe their nutrition's not optimized, um, pregnant women, uh, people also who are chronically exposed. So for example, somebody who works at a factory where Monday through Friday, they're going in and getting exposed for eight hours a day. And that's a chronic daily exposure. So that person would be at risk. And then you know there are people who for whatever genetic reason are more at risk of getting into a toxic state um, because maybe their liver doesn't process certain compounds efficiently. So they're also at risk. Um, and you know, anybody with general medical conditions, um, chronic conditions would be at risk because again, their physiology maybe isn't in tip top shape. Um, I'm also thinking a lot about older buildings with lead paint or high density housing, you know, so this is really a socioeconomic and sometimes an equity issue as well when we look at different populations and exposure. For sure. I mean, environments where, you know, people are living in older homes um, can actually um, expose children and adults to lead that may be found in old peeling paint. 
Um, and also whenever you live in close proximity to a lot of other people, you tend to have more risk of exposures. Um, and also thinking about like ventilation in a building, you know, what your neighbor next door is doing in their home may move on over into your house. For example, if they are smokers and they're smoking all day long, you are getting exposed if that ventilation system isn't separated between the two units. So this is something that we have to focus on because not only people of lower socioeconomic status are more likely to get exposed, but they may not also have access or be really engaging in the best nutritional habits. And we know that people who have more healthier diets that are more plant-based actually excrete toxins better. So on the flip side of that is like, does this person have access to good, clean food that is mostly plant-based and not full of toxins, you know, organic plant-based foods. Um, there are studies that show that children who eat plant-based foods that are organic actually excrete toxins better and have lower levels of lead and other toxins. Wow, fascinating. It's all connected. It really is. So if we, if we're going to be, you know, we're going to have access to these toxins, we can't get away from them. Let's talk a little bit about what they actually do once they get inside the body. How do they affect us? You know, this is really complex and data in this area is just emerging. And it's so complicated to study because for example, uh, something like, um, let's say BPA, which is widely found in plastics, doesn't have just one way of affecting human physiology. It can affect uh, one person in multiple ways. It can manifest in one disease in one person or something different in another person. So the mechanisms are broad and you can't always predict an a certain what a certain dose of a toxin will do in a human because we all respond differently. But some of the more common things that happen are um, this concept of endocrine disruption. And when I first heard this, I actually didn't believe it. I thought it was a gross exaggeration of some sci-fi scenario. But what is what this means is that there is disruption of the endocrine system. And your endocrine system is your system of hormones. So we're talking about growth hormone, um, cortisol, the sex hormones, thyroid. And so there is a disruption of how these hormones work in the human body. And this can have profound effects such as um, infertility, um, estrogen dominant, type um, conditions like let's say breast cancer. So there's many different ways that endocrine disruption can show up. Also cardiovascular disease, when there is an association between lead exposure and high blood pressure, right? Is it always the reason people have high blood pressure? No, but it's maybe one contributing factor. Same for diabetes. Um, we think exposure to certain compounds can raise your risk of having a diabetic state. Um, cancer is also on the list as are neurologic problems, um, autoimmune diseases. And so there was this interesting study in 2019 by Khan that showed that um, a low level exposure to BPA, which as I mentioned is found in plastics and it's widely found, it's all over your house. You probably already 
have multiple things that contain BPA. Um, low, low levels of exposure over you know, a, a long period of time can actually lead to an MS-like symptom where axons um, of the nervous system are degenerating and there's demyelination. And so this is something we have to think about. What is the role of man-made toxins in um, a disease like MS. Now, we shouldn't confuse this by thinking, okay, well, BPA is the reason that people get MS. It hardly ever, do you ever is it ever that simple where one trigger leads to a disease. A disease state like MS um, usually has multiple um, causes. It's multifactorial and exposure to all of these different compounds is just part of the process that moves forward to one day um, show it up as multiple sclerosis. So speaking of MS, what are some of the things that you think are most important when you think about the role that toxins play in MS? So toxins interact with the environment of the body in unfolding that process of auto, autoimmunity where the immune system is actually getting dysregulated. So the immune system is this very complex and intricate and beautiful system where there's so much regulation built in. And when that regulation falls apart is when things go awry. And so you start attacking food or you start attacking your own tissues. And so, um, for example, there was another study um, by Hedstrom in 2018 that showed that people who are exposed to organic solvents, this would be compounds like paint or varnishes, um, also found in cosmetics um, or dry cleaning agents. You, know, you can usually smell these compounds. Um, they when they looked at actually a large group of people, I think there was about 5,000 people enrolled in this study, what they found was the people who had um, significant exposures were 50% more likely to go on and develop MS. And then when they looked at what is the effect of being exposed to organic solvents and smoking in people who actually had the right genetics for MS, it was like these people were like 20 or 30 fold more likely to get MS. So now what, what this study establishes is that multiple factors are interacting to produce a disease state. And this isn't even all of it. This is just looking at people with the right genetics, exposure to organic solvents and smoking history, right? So what do we learn from this? If you can cut out your uh, toxic exposures by not smoking, right? Because that's what that's doing. You're inhaling toxins in multiple times a day when you're smoking. Um, so quitting smoking and minimizing your exposure to toxins can actually have a profound effect on you not going on to get a disease like MS. And, you know, I would also say that autoimmunity to a certain degree is, re is reversible. So even if you do have a diagnosis of an autoimmune disorder like MS, it still matters if you start working towards at least decreasing this group of risk factors, right? Because it's not an all or nothing phenomenon. I think you can move towards autoimmunity and then move away from autoimmunity as well. People will do that to different degrees, but there's hope. And I think, is it worth doing 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we have time after this portion of the episode, I will share some personal examples of some of the things that you highlighted as opportunities for me to change and how they drastically improved the symptoms I was experiencing and and not over very much time. So again, it's all connected and every little step that we take toward being healthier really can make a huge difference in how our MS progresses over time. So let's move on here. How do I know if toxicity is a problem for me? What do I do? (laughs) That's a great question. And one that I get every day and one that I think about every day because it's really complicated. We do not have lab testing or MRIs or any kind of imaging that can say you are toxic and you are not. So I, I would say most of us have some level of toxicity now whether or not that manifests as a disease that we can stick a label on you know that differs from person to person but if we were to do lab testing which can be done but it's expensive and what i have found is that everybody shows up with stuff that's positive but i can't always say okay your um you know PBDE levels were at this level, so you must have this disease. You know, it doesn't work that way. You can have people that have lots and lots of exposures and they are walking around and they they are otherwise perfectly healthy. And then there are people with very minimal exposures who, um, you know, have very significant disease. So I, while there is lab testing out there, I don't find it helpful. It's expensive and I, I don't do it because I don't think it's a good... Um, use of your time and money and resources. And um, there are some indirect ways of looking at regular labs that your doctor may have done for you, but they're again, very nonspecific and whether or not, you know, they fall into the ranges that I look at, I can't make a a definite diagnosis of somebody being in a toxic state or not. So I think of, I look at things like, does this person have a low white blood cell or a low hematocrit? Is there AST and ALT, which are liver enzymes, are they slightly up? Even if in the normal range, are they above that first quartile of what's normal. I might run a GGT, which is another liver marker. And sometimes that's also a little bit elevated in people with with, um, toxicity, but not always. You know, if it comes back normal, that doesn't rule it out. So you can see how this is really not helpful, right? So um, I generally talk to people and we think about what have their exposures been? And then we look at their current state and see what symptoms or diagnoses they have. And you can sort of assume that maybe there's a toxic state and then you work towards that. So I would much rather have somebody put their time and money into a real detox that's long-term, that's founded in nutrition, rather than doing expensive testing that's not going to guide my management. Thank you. I really appreciated that approach as someone that didn't have a lot of resources to even consider doing testing. Um, And it was pretty clear when we first met and we looked at some of the different um, sources of toxins that this was a place that I could do a lot of work. And so let's talk about that because you gave me some really great tangible suggestions early on that made a big difference fast. So how can we minimize our exposure? 
Okay, this is the part I get excited about because this is what you can do about it. And whenever we can do something about something, that feels good, right? Because then it's like, okay, there's some control here over my situation. And, and so the, I would say that some of the most high yielding things that you can do is to clean up your water, okay? You use water to cook, to wash, to shower. And if you can um, get water that is cleaner, that makes a big difference. So what does this entail? Getting a water filter, and I would ask that you get a reverse osmosis water filter because that will pull out the most number of contaminants. You know, actually something that's really interesting is if you think you have clean tap water, for example, I have friends that live in San Francisco and they go, oh no, we have great tap water. It's like, okay, well, go ahead and put your zip code into this website called the EWG.org. And then I want you to read what's in there because what the EWG or the Environmental Working Group has done is they have basically taken the um, water reports of various districts and broken it down in a manner where a layperson can read it and understand it. So there's a lot in our tap water that is not um, monitored. And so I think it's important to know what's in your tap water. And then this website will also help you figure out what's the best type of filter. And if you look down their list of comparisons, you'll see that the reverse osmosis pulls out the most number of contaminants. And then if you're worried about losing minerals, you can actually add on a remineralization filter, right? So now you have really clean water. So um, it's worth spending the few hundred dollars on a filter um, if, uh, you know you're going to be using that water at home for cooking and, and drinking and for washing and showering now the washing and showering is a little bit more complicated because you know whole house reverse osmosis filters are not really cost effective and they're very wasteful but anyways at least for cooking and drinking you'll want to get a reverse osmosis filter so now you've cleaned up your water the next thing i would say is clean up the air in your home so air filters are very effective at pulling out contaminants that are found in everybody's homes. And a lot of this comes from off-gassing from your furniture and painting materials in the house. You know, these chemicals don't stay put where they are. They kind of get into the air of your home, then they deposit down on the floor and they get into house dust. So getting a, a HEPA filter air filter is really, really high yield. The good ones are expensive. Some of them can go for, you know, five or $800 for like an industrial strength one. And I get it. I know that that's a big investment. Um, there are lower priced ones. And I think getting one of those is better than nothing. Um, but if you can prioritize getting a HEPA air filter, I think that is going to make a big impact. And for those of us that live on the West Coast, and we went through seven weeks of horrendous forest fires, um, I was never as thankful to have an air filter in my home because our AQI even got into the 600s where we lived. So like you could see smoke in the house and we really didn't know where to go because there was smoke in all the areas that surrounded us. So I would say, get an air filter. And then other things you can do are getting food that's organic. And um, yes, I get it that it's, it's more expensive, 
um, and organic is not perfect. I don't want to at all give that impression, but it's better than conventionally raised food that is intentionally sprayed with pesticides and herbicides and other stuff. So if you have finances that require you to be careful, the EWG, here is the EWG again, they have great lists for helping you prioritize what must you always get organic and what can you pass on and just get conventional because the exposure is not that great. So I would focus on food. And, you know, one thing I like to tell people when they say organics expensive, I'd say, you know, animal products are really expensive. So if you can eat more plants and less animal products, I think the price is offset. And then, I would agree. I would agree. We had that experience for sure. Yep. It's worth doing, right? And you're also supporting a type of farming that is less damaging to the earth, right? Like, I think we all have to play our part. It's not okay to just sit back and be upset about pollution when some of the choices we make contributes to pollution, right? So don't support farming that allows people to spray and give hormones and uh, to their animals or antibiotics. You know, we wanna support organic farming. And then um, another big, uh, Katie, you and I talk about this all the time. We're always swapping our favorite products with each other. Uh, personal care products like makeup, shampoo, toothpaste, also cleaning products, really, really important. Get rid of this stuff out of your house, the toxic stuff, and just start buying things that are non-toxic. These things are not, are not always more expensive. You just have to think about it and um, get it into your home. And again, I'm gonna talk about the EWG again. They have a great database. You can look up your current products and see how toxic it is. And then there are alternatives. And yes, some of the cleaning products can be more expensive, but I like to just make my own. Uh, I live in a house with three little boys and uh, a spray bottle with water, a couple drops of non-toxic soap and essential oils is our all-purpose cleaner. Um, on surfaces that we can use vinegar on, it's a 50-50 mix. I mean, it's dirt cheap, it's like pennies, right? So cost doesn't always have to be a barrier. Like I always wanna, um, you know, you and I, Katie, always talk about like, how can we do this like on the cheap, right? Like what would make sense so that everybody could do it? It shouldn't cost a bunch of money to make healthier choices. Could not agree more. Now, well, last time we talked, you shared some really interesting resources for non-toxic furniture and building materials. And I'm hoping you can share those with us briefly here. Sure. So one of my um, final frontiers in trying to uh, detox my house was okay, how do I get rid of that couch? Every time I sit on it, I'm thinking about what I'm breathing in from that foam that's been disintegrating in there, right? And so uh, there are websites online that sell non-toxic furniture. I mean, you generally want to get furniture that hasn't been treated with, um, you know, toxic varnishes, things that are high in VOCs. So you can actually look for furniture that is um, marketed as being non-toxic. Now, um, you can look online that one of my favorite places um, to get non-toxic furniture is a place in Sausalito that you can get stuff online, Pine Street Natural Interiors. There are many, many other websites out there and I'll have to think about them um, and maybe we'll make a list for everybody. But um, 
slowly swapping out the toxic furniture in your home is a good idea. Do I want you to do it all at once? No, nobody does it all at once. Now I'm like in my like year 10 and I finally got my non-toxic couch that I've been thinking about. So I will also say sometimes these non-toxic furniture can cost more. The way I deal with that is how about we just buy less furniture and buy things that are really good quality that'll last a long time. So I'm not dumping my couch every five years, right? So we, we kind of got our forever couch and, you know, I, I feel good about it every time I sit on it. Um, and then if you are in, um, in, in the market for remodeling your house or building a new house, I think it would be great if you could have this mentality of wanting to create a healthy home without a lot of chemical toxins. There's a great book called um, Prescription for a Healthy Home. And it just blew my mind when I started reading about it and learning about how architecture um, and interior design actually affects human health and how you can actually design for it. And it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. So these are just great resources and things to be thinking about as you move forward. Love it. That sounds like a book I need to add to my collection. Now, one thing we've talked about that I still struggle with is shoes in the house. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? For sure. Okay. This is a tough one because it can be socially awkward um, when, especially when you're having a party at your house and I'm like, I know you wore your beautiful high heels, but you're going to have to take them off because we just don't wear shoes in our house. I can give you some shoe covers. <laughs> so this is something that we've actually transitioned to over the years. And there are like many cultures out there that it's not acceptable to wear shoes in the home. And, you know, I think here it's very common for us to wear shoes in the home. But um, when you walk outside with your shoes and you are going across a sidewalk or maybe somebody sprayed some pesticides or herbicides or you know uh, glyphosate or roundup is very commonly used and, and an endocrine disruptor so when you walk with your shoes and you pick that stuff up and you walk into your house you've now brought it into your home and you can't really scrub this stuff out of your house right so the best thing to do is to not even bring it in we have everybody park their shoes outside the house. Uh, I have shoe covers for you know people that come through that can't take off their shoes, maybe because they're working in the house or something. Um, you can have extra slippers for people who have to have something on their feet. And then for yourself, if you like wearing shoes in the house, get a pair that you really love and that's your house shoe. That's your pair of house shoes that you're gonna switch, switch into as soon as you cross over that threshold. I'm going to really try. This is one I've struggled with for a couple of years, but um, yeah, thank you. I feel, I feel empowered. Uh, lastly, let's, okay. I just want to say, um, you know, you have a dog and dogs and babies get the most exposures because they're all over the floor. They're licking it. They're rolling around on it. So especially if you have children and animals, another really good reason to not wear shoes in the home. And actually that's what makes it easier for me to tell people as soon as I see them at the door, I just say, oh, would you mind removing your shoes? We have kids in the house and we're trying to keep everything really clean. And people don't have a you know, hard time with that. That's great. 
That's great. Yeah. I'm excited to make the switch. It's just such a change, you know, we're such creatures of habit uh, and that, that one has, has remained difficult for us for the last couple of years, but we'll get there. So lastly, let's talk about toys. Yeah. So look at the toys on the market, right? They are made of plastic. They have all kinds of colors that have been incorporated into them. And you will even see, for example, um, chalk or crayons labeled as non-toxic, but there's really no regulation. Like who said this was non-toxic? Like, and the ingredients aren't labeled. So, you know, what, how do you know what you're actually purchasing? So I wouldn't really rely on labels. I would just use my own judgment. I, for my kids, we bought things that are wood and um, not um, painted. Uh, and there are some companies that make less toxic toys. So I would definitely look into that. I, you know, I, try not to buy things from like the 99 cent store because they're just made on the cheap and you know that you're just getting the poorest of the poorest quality and especially with young kids they like to put a lot of things in their in their mouths so um you know i think we had like blocks and like little wooden trains that were just wood and i didn't care if they bid on those things it was like okay that's fine it, you're not at least at least i feel good that you're not putting anything uh, harmful into your body that's great so we talked about you know, that we all are exposed. And we talked about some things that we can do as preventatives, but what do we do once we have toxins in our body? Are there things we can do to help support our body and help us excrete them? Sure, uh, that's a great question because, you know, first and foremost, you wanna limit what enters your body, right? Like if we're gonna have a preventive approach, like let's start there. The next layer is how do I optimize my body and my liver to excrete these toxins more efficiently? And there is a whole industry out there built around um, various detox supplements. Uh, I used to work across the street from a place for like $210. You could get a work week's worth of juice and you just drink juice for a week. Yeah, maybe it helps detox a little bit, but maybe just for a week, right? We want it, We want you to have a long-term approach. So, you know, there are many things you can do to optimize your liver's ability to recognize and excrete these molecules. So first and foremost, a good detox program is founded in good nutrition. If anybody tells you something differently, they're probably trying to sell you something. And we just want to give you the truest information that we know without, you know, any hidden gimmicks. So first and foremost, phytonutrients are your friend. Phytonutrients are those colorful pigments found in fruits and vegetables that are antioxidants. And that's what the liver needs to do the work of getting stuff out of the body. So this is why you wanna be on a plant-based diet, okay? Not saying you have to be a vegetarian or vegan, you just have to eat a lot of plant-based foods, at least 80%. And then a good detox program requires protein, not lots of protein. I know we're all very protein obsessed, but you do need adequate amounts of protein to support the liver so that it can do that really difficult work. Now, one thing I would say is, when I have people come in and I'm really um, worried that they're in a toxic state, and if they tell me that they're eating five different foods and they've lost weight and they're malnourished, 
and I know they're not getting enough protein, I wouldn't put that person on a detox regimen. I would just continue telling them to eat the good foods because you can make people more sick if you detox them when they don't have enough protein on board. Protein's really important. And hopefully that protein comes from plants because it's cleaner. There's less toxins found in plant protein compared to animal protein. And then water. Water is really, really important. Um, I had a friend who would always say, water is the key to uh, success you know, in life. And it's true. If you can hydrate and get yourself to produce enough urine, that's one way that we excrete toxins out of the body. So half your weight in pounds is what you should be drinking every day. So if you're 150 pounds, that's 75 ounces of water a day. And then the daily bowel movement, can't get away from that one. You know, people come to me with headaches, with, you know, autoimmune diseases. And my question is like, do you have a bowel movement every day? And I know that seems unrelated, but it's very related because everything is connected. So a daily bowel movement is super healthy and we should aim for at least one a day, maybe two if you're an overachiever. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, be moving beyond, you know, uh, food and nutrition, let's say exercise is wonderful for detox. When you're sweating, there are many toxic compounds that actually are excreted through sweat. And then sleep is the other one. When you sleep, for example, at night, you are excreting toxins out of the brain, maybe twice as efficiently as during the daytime. So, Again, this goes back to those good lifestyle habits. I know sometimes we just want the quick fix, like just tell me which, which powder I need to buy so I can just do this detox thing. But that's actually not gonna give you your long-term success. Long-term success is gonna come from good nutrition, sleep and exercise, and a daily bowel movement. It's great. It really, all these things are so connected and it's just, you know, every time we make one better step we get closer and closer to better health. Now, I want you to talk a little bit here about true medicine. Sure. So when you and I and Anne-Marie sat down together and thought about well, what are we going to call this project that we're working on after um, a very long list of names, we settled on true medicine. I think it was like entry number 643 on my list. And true medicine embodied to us the concept of giving people the truest information that we know so that they can get on with this job of improving their health. We're not interested in selling anything that people don't need. We don't want to give you a false information or information that's not quite accurate to get you off on a wild goose chase. We feel that we can give people the information that's needed so that all they have to do is figure out how to put it into practice in their lives. Because when I got diagnosed with MS, I didn't know what to do, even as a physician. It was not taught to me in medical school. It is not part of medical education to talk about lifestyle habits. Now, we're not going to uh, debate the um, whether or not that's good or bad. I think we, we all know what the answer to that is. But 
it was very difficult for me as a physician to go and find the information to seek it to make sure that it's reliable and it's going to work and then i put it into practice in my own life and so i have both the personal experience and the professional experience of taking care of a lot of people and seeing that really truly what gets people far is lifestyle habits it's not taking the right right combination of supplements or doing the right combination of complementary therapies it's really just every day making really good decisions for yourself. Agreed. Every and little choice matters. Absolutely. And, and the word medicine, you know, we want to expand your idea of what medicine is. You know, yes, some medicines are pharmaceuticals, but so is nutrition and sleep and exercise and avoiding toxins and managing stress. Those can work as medicine and they can have very robust, powerful impacts on, um, on your health. Now, what else could we do if we are fascinated with this topic like you and I are? Are there other ways we could get involved or other organizations we should know about? There are many, many organizations, and I think it's on all of us to do our part in bringing attention to this very, very big problem that we right now don't know how we're going to get out of. Right. So on an individual level, you can support organic farming, you can buy less stuff. And this is something that is really, really important to me. It's like, let me just buy things that are good quality and I'm going to buy less of them. And I also buy a lot of used stuff. So I'm always very excited when I'm teaching my toxins lecture to actually tell people like everything I'm wearing right now is secondhand. And I'm so proud of that because if I feel good that I didn't contribute to this um, process of producing a new item, right? So all this stuff is new to me. That's what I call it. So, um, so buying less stuff is really important. Um, and then getting in involved in advocacy, um, talking to your local um, elected officials is really important because you know what? It's not even on their radar. They they sort of understand it at a very superficial level mostly and you know even in the medical field we don't think about the wide reach of of these toxins and then getting involved with various organizations you know our favorite one is the ewg we talk about this all the time and they do such a great job of bringing together reliable information and um, packaging it in a way that's easy to read and understand and um Finally, you know, understanding the importance of lifestyle and how you can have an impact on your future health and the impact of toxins just by how you go through your day, how you eat, how you sleep. Thank you. Wow. So many powerful tools today that you shared. I can't thank you enough for being here. Every time I talk with you still, I learn something new. So thank you so much for being here. And I hope you'll we'll, uh, see you here again soon sometime. Thank you so much for having me. I'll post two versions of the Toxins Exposure Questionnaire on our Patreon site in case listeners are interested. They are also widely available via Google search. I also wanted to share here just a few quick examples of toxin awareness changes I've made in my own life as additional possible avenues to get you started. 
First of all, toxin-free yard and garden care is possible. And in fact, Eric uses organic lawn and yard care products that are safe for us, our dog, the food we grow, and the environment. Bonus, they actually work even better than the toxic ones at keeping our lawn happy and our unwanted weeds dead. Also, in addition to transitioning to essential oils as our family first aid kit, I use essential oils to make my own cleaners in lieu of toxic chemical cleaners. And guess what? They smell great, work better, and cost just pennies to make. I also want to reiterate here how valuable of a resource we have with access to EWG.org. It's easy to use and has led me to much healthier personal products over time. We should resist the urge to feel like we need to throw out everything we're currently using and replace it all now with safer products. Yet each time we need something new, let's remember that that's a great opportunity to simply make a better choice. By using EWG.org or their handy Healthy Living app, I can easily search for healthier options. I also want to mention again specifically the EWG.org water quality resource, where you simply enter your zip code to get a thorough analysis of your drinking water. I talked about this in a previous episode, but I wanted to share again just how important it is to filter our water. When I used to live in the Bay Area, there was a general consensus that we had great quality tap water. However, by using the EWG water source, I learned that it was not the case, as our water was testing over safe limits, and by a lot, 11 out of 12 of the last quarters in numerous categories. That was enough information for me to immediately start filtering my water. I couldn't afford much at the time. But the Aqua Gear pitcher I could afford worked really well. So I want to share that here as a low-cost alternative. Our water quality was so poor that at first the filters would last only a month when they were supposed to last at least three months. Aqua Gear is such a great company. They helped me out by sending me extra filters at no cost. Now, an interesting thing happened when we moved three years ago to a home with a water filtration system. Those same filters easily lasted six months and likely would have lasted a year or more if I had kept them that long. You can visit www.goaquagear.com to learn more about their fabulous pictures. There, you'll learn about the extensive lab testing that's occurred over the last 15 years for the AquaGear pitcher, and it removes 2,000% more contaminants than other common water filtration pitchers on the market. It does an especially good job getting rid of fluoride, lead, heavy metals, chlorine, chloramine, chromium-6, disinfectants, VOCs, and more. AquaGear truly taught me how good clean water tastes, and I'm forever grateful for them. Dr. Susan also wanted me to mention one thing we didn't talk about in this particular conversation, and that is bottled water. There is a common misconception that bottled water is safer than tap water, but the harsh reality is that there is little to no regulation of bottled water, and the vast majority of bottled waters are stored, and sometimes for quite some time, in plastics. So truly the safest choice is filtering our tap water. 
cosmetics and nail polish. I've done a lot of work here and I'll likely do a full episode featuring some of my favorite healthy replacement products at some point. And lastly, an episode on toxin awareness wouldn't be complete without at least a mention of toxic relationships. We've talked about this at length in other episodes, but as you start thinking about ways to detox your life, I want to make sure it's on your radar, as this is a common theme amongst those of us living with MS. My hope is that after listening to this episode, we all, one, understand that toxins are all around us and within us, and we all can benefit from reducing our exposure. Two, that we understand the importance of increasing our awareness of our own unique toxin exposure so that we can develop our own personal strategic plans to slowly reduce our overall toxin exposure over time. And three, that we each take some time in the coming days to reflect upon our own current levels of exposure and to begin to utilize the strategies shared here to guide us toward living in better harmony with our environment, upon which we depend for everything we need to live a healthy life. And four, that we leave this episode prepared to make healthier choices one small step at a time. For it's often the smallest step in the right direction that becomes the most important step we'll ever take. There is no flock meeting this Saturday, but I look forward to our next gathering on Saturday, March 6th, where we'll discuss this episode, other episodes released between now and then, and just spend some virtual time together supporting one another. If you're not yet a flock member but would like to be, join us. We meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month and when a special podcast guest is able to meet with us. You can learn more and join us by visiting www.patreon.com slash msflock. Patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being on this journey with me. Until next time. Be well.